Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on BlogTalkRadio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you've just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on BlogTalkRadio.com or even the BlogTalkRadio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Molly Von Paddock. A poet, author, and entrepreneur was born in Laos during the Vietnam War. Her family fled across the Mekong River on a boat and made it safely to the refugee camps of Thailand. Molly and her family arrived in the United States when she was just five years old. Twelve years later, her first poem, I Came on My Own, was published by Iliad Press. Soon after, Unselfish Love, This Feeling, Christopher, My Days, For Granted, Peter Sky and New York's Embrace, were published by several internationally recognized affiliates of the International Society of Poets and the London Press. And in 2007, Molly was nominated Best Poet of the Year by the International Society of Poets. In her forthcoming release, A Million Fireflies, Molly takes us on a journey of love and loss, incorporating both poetry and her real-life stories to give voice to the true language of a heart that has seen much, felt deeply, and survived to shine. Molly von Padiff, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Hello, Molly, are you there? I am here. <laughs> okay, great, great. Um, I, I, I have to apologize for not getting your name right, but tell everyone the correct, correct pronunciation as well. It's Mali Pontadit. Okay. 
I don't even think I would have got that right with practice, but welcome to A Measure of Truth and really appreciate you coming to us on such short notice uh, to talk about the new release of your book and also um, your your amazing story. So what do you have for us today? Well, I want to first say thank you uh, to you and, um, you know, for the interest in coming on board here and, and sharing a little bit more about my journey and also the process of getting this book released, A Million Fireflies. So thank you for that. And basically, I really am open to whatever um, questions that you might have or anything that you would like for me to share with your audience tonight. Well, you know, we have, of course, a lot of aspiring poets out there and writers. And um, this is something that sort of came to you out of just expressing um, some of the the, um the things that you've gone through in your life. And I guess that's the way most poets um, start their writing. It's a, a form of expression that's sort of a purging. Um, you started with some experiences that happened to you when you were very, very young. So when did you actually start writing poetry? I started writing at the age of 12. I started uh, because of the current dreams that I had, and uh, those dreams really took place every night over a period of two months, and I really didn't know where they were coming from and what they were all about. I, you know, heard uh, distant sirens. I also uh, saw black feet and uh, sobbing in my ear. Mm. And so after two months, I really, well, basically, I, I, you know, got scared, and I thought, well, I should probably tell my, my parents about this. So I had mentioned it to my mother and my mother got really emotional, and she said, my goodness, you are recalling the night of our escape. And what's interesting about that is, you know, I don't have a, much of a memory of my childhood. Um, when we were in Laos, I don't remember any of that experience. Uh, during the, the refugee camp when we escaped the country, I don't remember that experience. So a lot of the trauma possibly and the turmoil that took place really repress a lot of my, my memories, and I, I guess it happened when I was 12 that they started, you know, coming back in the form of this recurring dream. And in that moment when I knew that it was actually from memory, things that had happened in my life that I completely forgot about or repressed, something inside of this 12-year-old said, well, if this is possible, where you have these uh, wonderful or traumatic or just experience in your life that take place and you could easily forget them. I didn't want that to happen for the, my future, so I started journaling, or at least I thought it was journaling. And I realized after my ninth grade teacher, English teacher, Mrs. Cartwright, told me that I was not journaling, but rather I was writing poetry this whole time. Wow. <laughs> you you were just writing and you weren't even concentrating on poetry, but you were writing poetry? Yes, it just came out in the form of prose. And at 12, I just assumed that people journaled this way, that they wrote the way that I did. So I had no idea that I was writing poetry and prose. Um, I didn't talk about, you know, the specific happenings in each moment. I was more writing these creative thoughts, and they just flowed. And uh, when Mrs. Cartwright asked us to do a project of creative writing, I just took a piece from my journal and I submitted it and she said, uh, after the class, she asked me to stay and she said, um, did you write this? And I said, yeah, actually it was a piece uh, from my journal. I journal a lot and, and you know, this is one of the one of the entries. And she started laughing and she said, after 17 years of teaching, um, she had never seen someone my age write something like this and she told me at that point that I was a poet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's how I, I knew I was a poet. Really? And, and most people learn poetry uh, or have been taught how to become a poet, and you just became a poet. I guess so. Wow. <laughs> that That is just amazing. A poet in its purest form. <laughs> that is pretty amazing. So, you know, She's not the only one who recognized your talent, and you've gone on to be recognized by the London Press and the International Society of Poets. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I had been journaling and writing, and obviously after Mrs. Cartwright, you know, she found this piece that I wrote, and it was called I Came on My Own. And she had asked me if she could submit it to a local um, publication that was looking for young 
um, Amateur Poets, and she submitted the piece, and uh, it was my first published piece because it got accepted. And from that point on, I, you know, looked for other opportunities with lots of encouragement from other teachers and friends that really enjoyed my work. I didn't really own myself as a poet, really, um, until I had a life experience. I, I had a, you know, very tragic loss with somebody that I loved. I had my late, my fiancé passed away, and soon after that, my father also um, died from cancer and multiple other losses. And what it was able to, to do for me, the poetry, the writing, which really helped me channel my emotions, and it truly helped me with my healing process. And through the process of healing, I wrote more and more and more because it was my form of release. And uh, I, you know, just started to submit my work, wanted to get it out there and share, and thought that perhaps it could help a lot of people going through some difficult times as I was. And a few um, publications started to pick it up, and, and I started to get these <laughs> recommend nominations and recommendations and awards, basically saying that it, you know, some of my work was best poem of the year. And then eventually, six or seven publications later, uh, I got a letter from the International Society of Poets telling me that I was nominated uh, for Best Poet of the Year in 2007. And it was at that point when I took my mother to the uh, convention, annual convention in Las Vegas, then I looked out in the audience and saw how much my words had resonated with them. And in that moment, I realized that the writing and the work and the poetry that I uh, was doing all along was, was not just for me. It was to share and help others really understand this sense of empathy that we feel in times of happiness, in times of joy, in times of you know really meaningful moments in our lives and we don't necessarily journey alone. So that was really when I thought, hmm, there's something to this poetry, and maybe I should start really doing more sharing and putting it out there. Now, um, tell us a little bit about the the tragic loss of your fiancé. How, how did that occur? Well, it was, um, you know, a very painful time in my life, and uh, luckily I'm in a much better place now, but at the same time, it's always nostalgic talking about it. It was basically a, a picnic that we had gone to, a family picnic, and we were celebrating not only just the beauty of summer and just having some fun at a local park uh, in the Potomac River, um, we really also wanted to celebrate our engagement with our, our extended family, and we went to really share in, in our joy and our love. And um, tragically, um, you know, things took a turn for, for the worse, and uh, some of the, the young relatives of ours were wading in the water, which you were allowed to do, but you weren't really allowed to swim, and they had been out there in the water for a while. And, you know, there was uh, lots of boats and jet skis and, you know, wrong place, wrong time, I guess. There was a, a big wave that came in, there was an undertow where the, the five boys were, and the wave just swept them out. And, uh, you know, one or two of the, the children panicked, and so all the others panicked, and they lost all motor sensory, and now we had five drowning boys. And my fian my late fiancé and my, my brother-in-law were close by in the water, and they swam to try and, you know, save these, these children, and they did. They saved four, and tragically that afternoon we lost two. Um, people, my fiance and and one of the the, the children, and so it really um, was painful because you know not only did it happen in the first place, but we were there and, and I was there to witness it. Also, it took a long time to heal from and a long time to process through, and that's you know really where this whole idea of my life becoming more vivid to me, time becoming more valuable, and the uh, importance for me to share and release so that I didn't feel alone and, and at the same time really started learning how to get support around me and ask for help. Hmm. What is the name of the poem that you wrote that um, helped you with this incident? Well, it was uh, <laughs> it was uh, fittingly called Christopher. And mm -hmm. when I submitted that poem in his honor, um, that very next year, it was nominated as Best Poem of the Year. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. How how long did it take where you when you were able to actually um, compose yourself to be able to write about what had happened? Oh my, my goodness! I I wrote immediately. Mm. I mean, I came home that night and I started writing. I I that you know writing is my channel. It's my thing. It's my my healing mechanism. Mm. Um, that's the first place I turn. That's the safest place I go. And I probably have, you know, 15, 20 journals completely filled now uh, and over 500 pieces of written work at this point because that is my my place of, of refuge. You know, I've spoken with a lot of songwriters and poets, and um, I've never really heard the process that I hear in you. It's almost as if... Um, when something happens to you, what you take in, you release and you, and you put it back out there. But you do it in such a way that people not only understand your pain and feel it, but it's still an art form in itself because it's it's capturing something that is so true to life that people can appreciate it on uh, a much higher level than just conversation. So it's just amazing for me to just hear you say that you can – do something like that. What most people think of as a talent, you know, we we sort of compose ourselves to be able to do that. We want to be sort of in our 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 own space to be able to create. But it seems to me as though um, this comes out of you so naturally. I've just never heard anything like that before. Thank you for saying that. Um, what I really find also is when I write, I typically write in the first person. And when I write, it's not always about my experience or, or what I'm going through in that moment. Sometimes I'm inspired by other people. I love people watching. Um, you know, I create my own ideas and thoughts about someone's experience and try and put myself in their shoes. And I, I typically find myself writing in the first person because I know when I read, I really own that story when I'm reading I. For some reason, it resonates with me that way. And so... Most of my poems will be written in the first person, even if it were not about me. Mm. So I find that to be not only healing for myself, um, I also hope that it resonates with others when they read I. Hopefully they'll resonate with an emotion that they may have repressed or something that they're going through at this very moment. And there's a voice out there that helps them to articulate exactly what they're feeling in the midst of their fog or perhaps in the midst of their utter excitement that they just can't even put words into. Wow. You, you know, um, when I hear um, you talk about um, your poetry and what it does for you and this therapeutic value, it, it makes me think back to people who have repressed emotions and experiences and how debilitating it can be for them. And it's like you have a natural built-in mechanism to to force these things out, you know, and um, to not only be able to purge and free yourself from the bondage of these things, but again, do it in an art form. And I think it's it's amazing. It's almost like you're you're this prodigy, you know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, I always I I don't really I, I never really thought of myself as a prodigy. I really. I, I thought, honestly, that everybody processed in this way. Of course, I'm learning and I've learned now through the years that this is not the case. Um, but it just does come naturally for me. Uh, it's like drinking water, I guess, you know. It's just my body and my mind, my spirit needs it. Uh, when i really stress and overwhelmed, I need to go to this quiet place and um, feel through it, and then it just somehow, you know, moves from the center of my my my, my core and moves toward my shoulders into my hands and I start writing or typing and somehow it just, you know, lifts me or, or, or leaves me. If I if I leaves me and I release it, then I can move on and move forward. And tell us a little bit about um some of your your admirers and your fans of your poetry, how they've responded and, and what they've actually said about um how it impacted their lives. Well, I think most uh, most of the response has been over the years that I'm able to articulate exactly what they are feeling in the moment or that perhaps sometime in the past when they have gone through, um, you know, not just painful times but beautiful times, they, they wish they had the words to describe to others uh, and, and really share what was happening inside of them. And they just couldn't find the words, so they said nothing. 
and mm. uh, either just smiled or, or showed it in other ways. And and so that was probably, you know, the biggest compliment that I get is you're able to give me a voice. You're able to put the words um, to the emotion that I'm going through, have gone through, and sometimes that I hope to feel at some point in my life if they've never felt what they're reading. Right. And tell us a little bit about your your latest project, um, A Million Fireflies. A Million Fireflies is a memoir. It is uh, real-life stories with poetry sprinkled in and is a journey of self-identity, self-love, loss, tragedy, healing, and the importance of sharing and moving forward. It is a project that I have you know, been working on. I would probably can say easily now all of my life because I always had this dream to publish a book, um, but the physical work really has taken five years to get to this point where it's now released. And we had the official launch um, on May 24th, so just a couple weeks ago at the National Press Club here in Washington, D.C., and it was just the most... Uh, beautiful experience, probably one of the most uh, unforgettable and inspiring experiences of my life. Just the sense of freedom that I had um, to, and the bravery, you know, just being able to look out into the crowd and see especially my family there to support and and let go and release some of the things that have locked me. So I feel this this wonderful new energy of of being wide open and and being able to truly embrace and experience life to move forward now in a way that I I've never felt before. And um when you when you talk about moving forward in your life as well, um this incident that um took place with your fiance passing and then soon after you said um as well your father passed away um how how is this this um process that you go through able to help you to get back to i, I don't mean to say um normal life but to be able to pull yourself together to be able to continue to move forward as you said in in your life well that's an interesting question isn't it because what is normal i mean mm-hmm. it's it's all relative. Um, I would say the process of healing and, and learning and growing about oneself and also seeing from a different point of view a few years removed from such you know painful experiences, mm-hmm. some of the patterns and the fears and the trauma that we hold on to that we don't realize we're doing at the time. And so with uh, writing this book, not only was I able to fully go back to certain places that I thought I had moved forward with but really hadn't, Mm-hmm. And I was able to go back there, describe things in detail, just kind of dig it all out, you know, right. dig it up, get get to that place and find my eyes out, you know, if I need to, and put it in a place where it's almost like this book to me is a nice treasury box of my life. And uh, once this book is done, I can just kind of put this one on the shelf and start brand new. And that's really what it feels like. Now, I do feel like through writing this book and going there to those deep, dark, painful places, it really was an opportunity to face things I hadn't faced fully, um, acknowledge the, the pain and the hurt and the anger and the, and the fears I had, and then be able to look at a different perspective at all the stories now and get to the end of the book and look back and say, my goodness, so much to celebrate. So many things that I have been able to process through, in a very healthy and loving way, treating myself better as a human being, uh, being kind to myself, being gracious, forgiving, um, for all the, the, you know, the fog that I had to walk through and possibly the people that I impacted because of my fog, and loving all of it anyway, because I appreciate where I, you know, far I've come and where I am now today. So it has been such a, such a whirlwind and a challenging process. I wouldn't give it up for anything. And when you say that, do you mean you wouldn't change your life experiences because of what they've taught you, or what? Well, what I guess it's, yeah, I guess it's not fair to say that I wouldn't change my life experiences. Mm-hmm. What I can say is that since I can't go back to change my life experiences, I now can look at all of the experiences and pull out the things that have given me, you know, the gifts from each right. experience. 
the beauty of my life now. The Mm -hmm. fact that I am, you know, I have these powerful stories that not only do I get to share, but I also get to, you know, to to share with others that may need it. Right. That they need to feel that they're not uh, in a place where they're isolated on some island inside some closet that no one would ever understand where they are. Yeah. And and that's what I think a lot of people need to know is um, that someone else has been there before and they made it out and they are better. And that gives them hope to be able to know that this thing, too, will not only pass, but it will be something that they'll grow on and continue to live life, you know, more fully, whatever that challenge may have been. And I would be honest with you, you know, the book um, does have some very painful moments because I try to be authentic and as 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 raw and as real as I, you know, could be in those moments. Um, but I also have beautiful stories of laughter and humor and silly little things that um, as a child or even as an adult I believed. And, you know, just learning from those um, humorous experiences, and at the time they may have been painful or, or hurtful or even embarrassing, and so, you know, I do want to let people know that life, like inside this book, has all of that, has the elements of humor and laughter and love and pain and joy. I mean, you, you really can't have one without the other to have a fulfilled life. And I guess that's really the point of this book. And also, it's very spiritual in a sense that just trusting inside the universe and, and, and God, if you believe in God, if you believe in the universe, if you believe in, but just knowing that there is a greater power um, and something that we just can't touch, feel, and see to help us through these difficult moments, to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's stars that are in the dark sky. You know, it's, it's very important that I put the element of spirituality in my book because it did help me get through of, you know, very, very difficult moments of my life. Yes, yes. And um, also, what other support systems did you have around you when you went through these um, these events as well? Well, I mean, I, I had some group therapy, and I went to see a counselor for some of the deeper, painful moments of my healing process. Most especially, I found a lot of comfort in authors and writers. I picked up books, and I could just heal in my own terms, and that was one of the main reasons why I kind of found the bravery to release such a raw book and such an honest book, because I thought in those moments when I reached out for my bookshelf or when I went to the bookstore online and bought books, I wanted to be able to connect with others that had walked the same walk. And they weren't just, you know, telling me things that they had read out of some, you know, book somewhere, but they had really experienced what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also have an amazing family that, you know, love me unconditionally, always there for me, gives me space when I need it, and smothers me with love when I need it, and amazing friends. Um, I couldn't ask for a, a better support network and friends that just, no matter what I dream of, no matter how big or just, crazy my my aspirations are and they just tell me to go after it <laughs> right spoken like a true motivational speaker and tell us a little bit about um molly creative llc molly creative is a, a business that i started earlier this year and in essence it's been something i've been doing basically all of my career i just never claimed it as a business of my own um, it is a marketing, basically more of a messaging company that incorporates marketing and communication strategies. I help people find their true voice, choosing the right words to speak emotionally and directly to their consumers. And it's a powerful work because it incorporates my passion and creativity. Um, I get to write, I get to research, I get to learn and emotionally connect with not only my clients, but help them connect with the people that are most important to them, whether it be employees, whether it be business partners, or the direct consumers and clients that they have. It is um, such a natural fit, and I couldn't be happier with, uh, you know, the success of how it's going, the direction that it's taking. And I've been doing it for a long time, uh, most of it pro bono with nonprofits and such. Mm -hmm. I was in the financial services world for seven years, 
um, really focusing on insurance planning, and I gave that all up this year um, because I, you know, I, I needed to. Um, it was a big wake-up call and made me realize that there were probably other things that were more in line with my my purpose in life. Yeah, yeah, and I can understand how um, events can change your priorities as well. And you said you were in insurance planning, you said? Yeah, it was a natural fit. You know, I just lost my fiancé, and this was almost mm-hmm. eight years ago. And within, you know, three, four months, I really needed to kind of give my myself something to to pour my energy and my heart and my passion mm-hmm. into. And mm-hmm. I didn't think about protecting myself, and neither did my, my late fiancé, because you know, we always think we have tomorrow. I was young at the time. We were both very young. And so after he passed, I thought, gosh, so many people... Um, don't put these things in place, you know, and, and we take life for granted. So it was a natural fit for me, and I don't regret the seven years of my commitment to not only doing that work and to my clients, um, but I think it's time also to really be true to myself, what what's important to me and, and my, my life journey and my destiny. And if I can align my passion, um, what I love with my work, I'll be able to have even greater impact uh, to my customers, to my clients. And also yeah. to the world. That's the goal, right? So, you know, we I, I want to make sure that um I lead by example if I am asking my friends and my clients to live a life of passion and purpose, it was time for me to do that as well. Yeah, it's interesting because um I I was also um in the insurance industry for a while, um for about fifteen really? years and what what I found was is when um, life hit me in the face and my wife became um, critically ill, um, I I couldn't find myself telling people and warning them anymore because I was going through it. And I, I didn't feel that my plan was good enough. You know, it was something that really just smacked me in the face and just it was one of the uh, most difficult times of my life. So, um a lot of my questions and my curiosities about your purging and bringing yourself out of these things and being able to express yourself in words and in writing um, are really uh, sort of rooted in some of my own experiences as well. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So that's very powerful. Thank you for, for sharing that and acknowledging that. Yeah, yeah. And... um I want to just take a quick break for a second, and um, just for one of our sponsors, you mentioned nonprofits, and um, there are quite a few I support, and I want to give them their airtime, and we'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community, a program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, kids' and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them, sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today, based on God's love for them, will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation and, yes, Believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. 
Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Welcome back, Molly. I'm here. <laughs> and I'm not saying your name right. I, I've been avoiding saying it wrong. <laughs> Pronounce fine. it for me again. Mali Ponsadit. Mali. Okay. I'm just going to stick with the first name. Okay. <laughs> All right. And um, we were, were just um, finishing up on our conversation. I didn't want to take myself too far down that other road. So wanted to change it up a little bit and take a quick break. And um, tell us a little bit about um, what you have coming up for your new book release. Are you going to be doing some local book signings? And also tell people where they can purchase the book and about your websites. Well, um, we we have a marketing plan to definitely incorporate some book signing opportunities. I personally um, will be coordinating a few as well and doing media that relates to the, the book and the marketing and advertising of this book. Um, I also um, am going to be talking to some local bookstores and national bookstores and also associations that could benefit from the content inside this book, perhaps some women's group and uh, groups that are, are global that feature or cater to uh, immigration issues. There's so many different arenas to tap into, and it's just a matter of being able to uh, focus on a strategy that would reach the market that obviously can can get a sense of connection with the book. Um, the book can be purchased now with any major distributor, uh, Amazon.com being you know the, one of the major ones, and BarnesandNobles.com. You can go into any major bookstore and request it is inside their system, so they can order it for you if it's not already inside the stores. Uh, very easy to 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 get to, and then um, you can also go and visit uh, the website SynergyPressOnline.com. That's my publisher, and you can learn more about uh, the author and also the selection of books available there on the bookstore. Um, and so that's that's basically that's basically where you can find it. Awesome. Okay. And um, I'm sure my listeners are going right now. They're clicking on the link. They're looking your name up, doing the Google thing, and finding out just a little bit more about you and um, uh, about your journey and all the things that you've been sharing. And um, tell us a little bit about your work with nonprofits that you've mentioned earlier as well. Well, I really believe that, uh, you know, we are on this earth for not only ourselves, but for supporting others. Uh, I learned this very, very young when my family crossed the uh, Mekong River and ended up in the refugee camps of Thailand. There was a church, uh, Davies Unitarian Church in Maryland, with one single vote from a woman by the name of Jean McCarty. 
Our goal is now my godmother. That vote changed everything for not only myself but my entire family, and uh, I believe for her as well, as well as the church. And that was my first true experience with philanthropy and community giving. Mm. That that church, that one vote, that, that the woman that actually made the decision to bring an entire family that the church had never met mm-hmm. um, to support us, knowing that there were, a, you know, a family of seven that needed clothing and shelter and food. Um, it changed my life and, and possibly saved it. So when I think of that, I think of me being on that side or that end of it, and I realize that one person, that might be me, can change and save someone else's life or a whole family of lives or a whole community of people and not really just saving but lifting or supporting somehow. And it began there for me, I believe. Began there for me, and so now as an adult, I'm very active with a lot of uh, local nonprofits that have global vision and mission. Um, I'm involved with the Lyle Heritage Foundation. It's near and dear to my heart. It is an organization that uh, has been around for seven years now, and it promotes, uh, preserves, and transmits the Lao culture through the arts. Um, a culture that, you know, for a while there was really, and and still in many cases, uh, in danger of some of the traditions um, not being preserved appropriately because of all the turmoil and all the things that took place after the um, Vietnam era and the change and shift in government and such um, that really impacted where some of our masters and scholars ended up in the world. So finding them and bringing them to a place where we can record and learn from them and at the same time transmit and transfer that culture to the next generation in order to preserve that for future generations. Um, I'm also involved with a nonprofit, uh, you know, known as Diazzo de la Luna. It is a one of the only two Spanish theater companies here in the area, and they also promote cross-communication, um, and they provide bilingual programs not only for children but for adults to make sure the community uh, if English speakers and Spanish speakers really communicate and understand each other, and they do that also through using theater and arts programs. Oh, that's great. That's great. And um, I, I sort of, hopefully, we, we've left enough time for this question because it's a, it's a heavy one. <laughs> and, and I think it will be for you, but um, what is the meaning of a million fireflies? Oh. A Million Fireflies, the title of the book, came to me several years ago. Um, it was a year after my father had passed and about three and a half uh, years after my um, my fiancé had passed. And I found myself in the hospital room with my mother who had to go through a spinal surgery. And the tick-tock of the clock and the drip of the IV um, really just impacted me, and I was laying on the cot next to her while she was asleep and in pain, and I was just in this deep place of trying to recall a time when I didn't have heaviness, mm. when I didn't feel pain, and when I didn't, you know, always have anxiety and fears of, you know, losing somebody else that I loved um, and not being stable or having stability. And I asked that question, and when I opened my eyes, I looked out, and there was the, the window completely open, and these stars were just kind of blinking and speaking to me, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And an image of me as a young girl in my father's garden collecting fireflies, what I recalled, you know, remembering like what felt like millions and millions of them over the years. And I told myself as a young person, I remembered this in that hospital room, as a young girl, I said to myself, well, I'm just going to collect these fireflies and imagine that I'm going to collect them and place them inside my heart, inside my spirit, inside my body, and just have them light up my path when I go into dark places or I'm scared. And so all these years, mm-hmm. I find myself actually collecting all of the emotions, good ones, bad ones, and just keeping it locked inside of my dresser drawer in case of my poetry, my own body, not sharing, not asking for help. And I realized that it was time to actually let the fireflies go where they belong, which is to light up the world and leave me so I can feel light and free and 
become one of those fireflies and, you know, travel to new heights. Hmm. So that's where the the book uh, title came from, to release these millions of fireflies and encourage others to do the same so that we can all light up the world together and, and, and free ourselves of whatever it is that's blocking us. Wow. Putting us back, holding us down. That's amazing. So the, the, the little pains in our lives and the big ones as well, if we release them, they actually can go out into the world and help someone and be a blessing is what you're saying. Exactly. Mm. Because, you know, if you think of a firefly, they don't always light up. There's, you know, when they don't have the, the blink of the light, they're dark. Mm-hmm. So those are, when I think of that, those are the painful dark times. And then when they blink and they, they, they light up, those are the happy, ecstatic moments that sprinkle into our lives. Well, I collected all of it. I collected both the dark and the light and never really thought to release any of it for anybody else to, you know, to see. Mm-hmm. And I figured, hey, if I release them all, they might actually have more opportunity to blink those bright lights more often. Wow. I, I'm, I am so ready to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> Really, um, you you have an amazing view of the world, and um, and and it seems to me that you 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 pay close attention to everything. Um, there's this is like there's no inanimate objects in your life. Everything has a story and a purpose and a life of its own. And um, the way you see things and you speak of them, it, it's just uh, it's very very interesting, very interesting. I, I really don't know how to. To say it, but um, I, I can see just from speaking to you and not have read your books the talent that is within those words and your expressions. Yeah, very, very, um, I'm very well, displeased to be you, able uh, to. Yeah, I hope I, that you can appreciate the journey as well and identify with some of those chapters um, yourself. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, uh, and I definitely look forward to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is um, very intriguing, and uh, I, I look forward to picking up that book um, and um, exploring uh, myself as well as the, the words within. And um, I, I think that um, our listeners are, uh, this is something that is one that you really want to take note of. Um, all of us have experienced some things in our lives, and, um, you know, we all didn't deal with them the way we would have wanted, but um, and sometimes the pain didn't go away as fast as we would have liked it to, and sometimes a conversation with a close friend or relative did not help in your healing. But um, the real answer always lies within yourself, and um, I, I think that you're proof positive that um, we can all find, if we take the time to make that journey, um, a way to um, release some of these um, pains that we've suffered through in our lives. And uh, um, for a lot of people, it's just it's just good news to know that there's still hope. There is hope, and yet there's a lot of hard work that has to happen. It's a healing process. is a, a process that takes a lifetime and beyond. Just mm-hmm. understanding where you are is the biggest step, is knowing that there are certain things, feelings, pains that are locked or that have not really moved itself through to get to a lighter place. And I think that's the biggest part is to get to that place when you look at yourself in the mirror and just admit that you're not happy. And I think we don't really spend that much time looking at ourselves because we're so busy running from ourselves. And Mm. so if we can get to that place, we can just have a little bit extra time looking into our own souls, our own eyes, and not trying to help fix the world first, right? But really trying to look inside of ourselves to see if there's something that we can do to make ourselves feel a a lighter sense of peace or find happiness um, within us. And then the work of doing that for the world doesn't seem so daunting. It just naturally happens. And, you know, it's not easy for me either. I mean, some days I still wake up in the morning and I still, you know, miss the people that I've lost and I still... Um, you still wonder if things could, you know, if things happen differently, where would I be? And that's human. That's normal. And I don't try and beat myself up for that. But I acknowledge that, you know, you don't just one day take, um, you know, a, a happy pill and wake up and everything is, you know, completely gone. And you, you know that it's a process that you have to go through. The only person that can go through it is you. 
and a lot of support, obviously, from friends, but walking through it is really a, a very, very difficult thing. And I'm one to admit that it hasn't been easy, and it's still a process of going through it. You just get lighter and lighter with every step. I mean, I'm lighter than I've ever been. That doesn't mean that I can't go further. Mm. Absolutely. There's nothing stopping you from going further because it's um, a really a choice that you make as far as how deep you want to go and just how many things you want to address and see them for what they are. It's a choice every day, in every situation, every second. And sometimes the choice is to stay in bed that day or to, you know, to to sit there and, and cry for a couple hours if you need to. Or maybe the choice is to go dancing. You know, you don't know what the choice <laughs> might be. But in that moment, it's really knowing that you do have choices. And the choices you make have some wonderful consequences and some painful consequences. So what is it? What kind of life do you want to lead? What kind of, you know, impact do you want to have, not only for yourself, but for others? And it's in that compass, which I like to call, you know, a compass of life for me and my emotions and feelings is which decision, which choice will give me more peace than the other? Because there's not a right or wrong answer sometimes. It's not a black or white answer. You kind of stick and stay in the gray zone a lot in life. And you have to really get to a place where you ask yourself, which choice gives me more peace? And it's not easy. You have to sit there long enough until you get an answer sometimes. Right. And and sometimes the choice that brings you peace comes with some pain, but you just have to sit through it. You have to be willing to take that step. And, um, you know, then after it's been done, um, you can accept the peace that comes thereafter. Exactly. Uh, I did not expect to talk about all this deep stuff with you. I really didn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's gone too far. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to to um not go into a deeper longer conversation. This is for the listeners. <laughs> but um uh, you know, I've really enjoyed chatting with you and um um on your Facebook page are, are you accepting um new friends or or is it open or do you tweet and do you have a blog with we'll and go through those. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I, I do accept friends. My Facebook page is facebook.com, Malib Pompadi, my full name. And um, spell it for Yes, M-A-L-I-P-H-O-N-T-A-D-I-T-H. I also have several fan pages on there, one for my book, A Million Fireflies, uh, one for my business, Malib Creative. And um, I am working on my Molly Creative professional website. It'll be up in about two and a half weeks, just finalizing a few pieces on the messaging and content. Mm. And I'm excited to share that very soon. And inside that web page or website um, will be a blog. And awesome. uh, I will be doing more more blogging. So I'm excited. A lot of upcoming projects, um, some of which are related directly to the book, and others are related to the powerful messaging that I hope to create um, and will create for uh, all of the, the clients and artists and friends that want support in that area. Oh, very good. I look and that, forward to and that, that, that as website, well. And uh, that website will be um, mollycreative.com. Okay. So stay tuned. Awesome. And um, she is a friend of mine on Facebook, so you guys know where to find her. Just look her up directly. And um, I'm sure that um, if you put that in for the search as well, you'll find it very easily. And, um, you know, we'll have to have you on again, Molly. Um, and okay. um, hopefully around the time when you've released that um, the new website, or we'll think of a reason to call you back. Okay. Well, we certainly want to at least start off the show with some jokes, though. Let's lighten it up a little bit. <laughs> I'll try yeah. and memorize a few and see if I can come up with some good jokes. Uh, do you think you could show? do a show with a comedian? I have a slew of them I could invite on. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should uh, stick with what I do best. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, but I just want to thank you again for um, – you know, spending time with us, and uh, I'm sure I'm going to get lots of little notes and emails about how much people love this show. So I, I just thank you for that and for sharing your talent um, with us as well. as uh, I, I really am looking forward to um, finding this book as soon as I can find it and just dig right in. Well, 
I appreciate that so much and definitely uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on your show. I do want to give a shout-out to Naomi Karma, who was, uh, you know, the the connection. I really love that woman. And yeah. The Tiger <laughs> Lily Foundation is doing extraordinary oh, yeah. things. So I love her and appreciate her. And, uh, you know, hopefully your your audience will resonate not only with this interview but with the book and the journey of the book. So thank you for, for giving me access to your, your connections. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. And, and thank you, Mema, as well. I uh, really appreciate that connection also. Uh, it was well worth the wait. Um, and, um, you know, uh, again, I just can't say enough about um, how impressed I was with uh, just learning a little bit more about you. And um, thank you again for coming on, and we'll look forward to next time. Great. Thank you, Michael. If I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? is when the secret stays locked within and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm here. And I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. Yeah, 